Welcome to another edition of the SSPX Podcast, delivering sermons, lectures, and the spoken word from across the English-speaking world. Today we'll go back in time a little bit to a Third Order meeting delivered by Father Leo Boyle in 1992 in St. Mary's, Kansas, where he discusses the virtue of humility and how this virtue is not just for the religious, but for all faithful. This evening... My dear friends, I have decided to consider with you and for our spiritual advancement the virtue of humility. This virtue, St. Thomas Aquinas informs us in his usual succinct way, considered in itself. Considered in itself, it is inferior to the theological virtues, which have as our direct object, as you know, Almighty God himself. It is even inferior to certain moral virtues, for example, prudence, religion, and legal justice, which refers to the common good. However, with the possible exception of obedience, humility is superior to all the other moral virtues because of its universal character and also because it subordinates us to the divine order in all things. Now, there is a divine order in everything. And it's very important to know precisely where our place is in it. But if we consider humility from a different perspective, if we consider it from another vantage point, that is, we can see it as the key which unlocks the storehouse, the treasury of God's graces. And furthermore, we can see it as the foundation the bedrock of all other virtues. And we can readily acknowledge that humility is one of the most excellent of the virtues, one that we should seek to acquire and to put into practice. So let's examine for a few moments this peril of great price, for indeed it is a peril of great price. And we should not underestimate its worth nor its value in our lives. Please don't think that the virtues are only for religious, only for priests. Anyhow, the example of their lives is enough to show that they need it as much as anybody else. Christ said to all of us, learn of me because I am meek and humble of heart and you shall find rest for your souls. St. Augustine highlights this virtue even further in speaking of the life of Christ. The whole life of Christ on earth was a lesson to us, and he was master of all virtues, but especially of humility. It was that particularly which he wished us to learn from him. Did he not, as St. Paul says, empty himself, taking the form of a slave? He, as it were, cast aside all his divine prerogatives, and eternal privileges to become, like one of us, a man in all things except sin. The Incarnation, in which Christ, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, took unto himself a human nature, is an eloquent and touching testimony of that humility of spirit which Christ wants us to imitate so as to be more like him. And St. Bernard says, in his turn, the Son of God abased and reduced himself by taking human nature 
And all his life he strove to be a pattern of humility, to teach us by deed what he had to teach us by word. But why this manner of teaching? Why this particular form of conveying truth? And the psalmist gives us the reply that from this time forth there may be no man daring to be proud and lift himself up upon the earth. For it was always madness and stupidity, impudence and folly for man to be proud, to exalt himself, but particularly now that the majesty and splendor of God has abased and humbled himself. To quote St. Bernard once more, it is intolerable shamelessness and gross vulgarity for a vile creature like man to seek to be regarded and esteemed. The Son of God, equal to his Father, takes the form of a servant and chooses to be humbled and treated with ignominy. And do I, dust and ashes, seek to be regarded and esteemed? Humility is the virtue which, through the self-knowledge it imparts, inclines us to evaluate ourselves at our true worth and to seek self-effacement. Knowledge of self. How difficult it is to obtain. That is, true, genuine knowledge of one's character, one's personality, one's inner self, one's real self. Man, know thyself, presume not God to scan, said the poet, can't recall his name, I think it was Alexander Pope in his essay on man, I'm not sure. We have created for ourselves an image, a self-image, which is as pleasing to wear and as deceptive in concealing our face as any mask we might put on at a fancy dress ball. Where lies our real self? What is our real self? To discover who you truly are, you must practice humility. That is a humility based on truth and justice, on truth insofar as it causes us to know ourselves as we are, not as we think we are, as you would like to be, as you would like our neighbor to think we are. No, humility enables us, should enable us, to see ourselves reflected in a mirror as we really are. And that mirror is Christ. The mask so artificially worn, so carefully contrived, slips on or falls. And we see ourselves face to face. A true image caresses our eyes. Humility is founded also on justice. And justice, inasmuch as it inclines us to act honestly and forthrightly on that knowledge 
that is, that true knowledge we have required, or have acquired rather, of ourselves. It is connected with the virtue of justice for a very good reason, since it inclines us to dole out to ourselves what we so justly deserve. And furthermore, humility is related closely to the virtue of temperance because it moderates the sense we have of our own worth. Let us beware, however, of introspective self-analysis, of an exaggerated, disordered sense of our littleness before God. Let us not foster in ourselves a false spirit of humility, a nervous scrupulosity, an inverted pride, which takes delight in humiliating oneself, in belittling oneself for the wrong reasons, an almost sadistic pleasure based on a false perception of holiness and what God requires or expects of us. True self-knowledge makes us realize that whatever good there is in us, and there is much good in us, true humility helps us to see that this goodness, this wholesomeness, comes from God, and that whatever there is in us, in us of evil, sadly, comes from ourselves. What have you that you have not received? Asks St. Paul. And if you have received, and we all have received, why do you glory as if you had not received? That is, as if you attributed to yourself all the fine qualities that you have. When we stand, for example, in admiration in an art museum before a work of art that gives us pleasure, we give credit to the artist not to the canvas. When we listen to a wonderful symphonic work, we give praise to the composer, not to the notes as such and the written score, however magnificently brought to life by the orchestra. So also, when we contemplate the gifts and graces of God in us, it is God whom we should admire, not ourselves. Humility is the foundation of sanctity, of holiness, explains St. Cyprian. And St. Jerome will hasten to add that humility is the foundation and safeguard of all virtues. St. Gregory in some place or other, I know not where, refers to this virtue as the mistress and mother of all virtues and as the root and origin of virtue. And it's not very difficult to see this. To illustrate it, I shall rely simply upon the conference of Rodriguez, the famous Jesuit master of the spiritual life. He will raise an important objection to what has just been said, namely that humility is the foundation of the spiritual life. The saints in common refer to faith, faith as the foundation of all virtues and of the spiritual edifice. And does St. Paul not say, other foundation can no man lay, but that which is laid already, which is Christ Jesus. To this difficulty, 
Saint Thomas would respond by saying that to lay a foundation well, two things are required. It is first necessary to open well the trenches and cast out all the loose earth until firm ground suitable for building is arrived at. Once the trench has been dug deep, after the removal of the loose soil, the foundation stone is laid with all the other stones resting on top. So St. Thomas goes on to say, so are faith and humility. In the spiritual foundation, they are in fact the very fabric of virtue. Humility is that which opens the ground. Its office is to dig the trench deep and throw out all the loose stuff that is the weakness of human strength. And this you must realize. You must not, you dare not, build on your own strength. No matter how strong, how robust, how confident you feel, and perhaps you know yourself to be strong and robust and confident, it is not enough. It is nowhere near enough. All your human strength in the matter of your spiritual life, which is not cut off in any way from your daily routine existence, is only sand in comparison to the rock that is Christ. All that sand you cast out, you go on digging until you reach, until you arrive at the living rock, that firm stone which is our divine Lord himself. This is the principal foundation. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. For Christ also told us, without me you can do nothing. Which doesn't mean that you are not capable of something, or that you're really incapable of nothing of any value. Of course you are. In the natural sphere, you can do many wonderful things. But in the supernatural domain, the only one that really counts, you can do nothing of yourself that will merit you eternal life. Everything must be done in and through Christ and for Christ's glory. To rest upon the foundation of faith in Christ, the other virtue, the virtue of humility, is necessary. For it is also called a foundation. Humility then will open the trenches and emerge a man in the knowledge of himself and cast out all the loose earth of self-esteem and self-confidence until it reaches the true foundation, which again is Christ. Such a man will set up a good building, and though the winds come and buffet it, and the waters arise around it, it will not be upset, because it is founded upon a firm rock. But if a man build without humility, his building will come toppling to the ground where it is founded only on sand. All those virtues that are not based on humility but on pride are only apparent and false virtues for God resists the pride. And Augustine says, 
In those ancient Romans and philosophers, there were no true virtues. Not only because charity, which is the form and principle of all, is lacking, but also because humility is missing. What was the aim in the bravery, the justice, and the temperance of the Romans? For indeed, they were brave, they were just, and they were temperate. To be esteemed, to be highly thought of, to leave behind a good name and reputation. Yes, their virtues were hollow and devoid of substance, a mere shadow of virtue. And since they were such, that is, not true but apparent, they were rewarded by God in this life with the goods of this life, which also are apparent goods. If then you wish to build up, to foster in your soul true Christian virtue, try to lay the good foundation of humility. The deeper the foundation, the higher the building, for there is no height without depth. St. Ignatius of Loyola proposes three degrees of humility, three degrees, if you like, of self-abnegation. The first consists in perfect submission to the law of God, so that we should be ready to refuse the empire of the world, or even to sacrifice our lives rather than transgress any precept which obliges us under pain of mortal sin. And that's difficult for us, you see, because said like that, you probably think, well, no, I don't want to commit mortal sin. On the other hand, if you're asked to sacrifice your life, you might be prepared to do it for a just cause. But if you don't want to, and the only way you can hold on to your life is by committing mortal sin, what would you do? Just what would you do? The second degree of humility for St. Ignatius consists in the indifference of the soul towards riches or poverty, honor or shame, health or sickness, provided the glory of God is equally secured for everything works unto the good of those who love God, even suffering, or perhaps I should say, especially suffering, patiently and humbly born in, with, and through Christ. No consideration, even of death, should be able to draw us into deliberate venial sin. I did say deliberate venial sin. I'm not talking about imperfections. It's important to realize that venial sin is still sin. It's also equally important not to have an exaggerated sense, even of sin. Because where sin abounds, the grace of God is even more abundant. The third degree goes further still and consists in the love of the cross and the love of humiliation. Oh, how difficult this is. 
But at least, at the very least, let us endure such trials patiently without grumbling or murmuring. This love of the cross, of humiliation in union with Christ, and out of love for him. Now that's important. I'm not talking about humiliation for the sake of humiliation. I'm talking about suffering and pain, humiliation born in union with Christ, and out of love for him. That is the degree of humility of which Christ has given us the example and which the saints, and by means of which, the saints have become like unto him. But what does all this mean in practice? We are not angels. We are men, men and women. How concretely in your situation can you live a humble existence, an existence that is pleasing to God? Must you perform great penitential exercises like me? No, not like me. Must you fast, abstain from all kinds of food? Must you constantly fall to your knees in prolonged prayer and meditation? Let's not play at being false mystics. Let's not complicate our spiritual life. One thing alone is necessary, to imitate Christ, for in his light we see light. Not in your light, not in my light. In the light of Christ we see light. You see, you are not at the center of your spiritual life. If you are, there's something slightly wrong. The world doesn't revolve around you. Your world must revolve around Christ. And that's true humility. Seeing where your place is. But not only seeing where your place is, but realizing that you can do nothing without Christ. Absolutely nothing. You're not in this world to please yourself. Even if you're saying many prayers, many rosaries, attending many masses, you must not fool yourself. True religion doesn't consist essentially in those external practices. True religion is when you have given your heart absolutely to God. And be clear on this also. Giving yourself absolutely to God is simply in the chosen vocation that God in his providence has designed for you. You can be a saint in your family. You can be a saint in your workplace. And you must be saints in your family. And you must be saints in your workplace. And you probably have a much tougher existence than those who in a certain sense are professional, religious, priests, brothers, nuns, etc. The one thing necessary is to imitate Christ. In his light, as I said, we see light. We should often pray to Jesus, meek and humble of heart, 
as did Cardinal Mary Delval, the saintly Papal Secretary of State of our beloved patrons and Pius X. For true humility is the conquest of self, the denial of self, so that Christ may, in the words of the Apostle of the Gentiles, live and breathe in us. We must die to ourselves so that Christ lives in us, for that is true holiness. And in practice, you see, it's difficult. I'll just finish with the Cardinal's prayer, which he recited every day. And remember, he was a man in a position of great importance and honor, whose opinion was valued, whose counsel was trusted. He was sought after by many, not just simply prelates, who probably for the most part were religious diplomats, but he was sought, sought after also by many people for spiritual direction. And he would pray to Christ. And he would pray out of a profound sense of humility, of his true worth. That is, his true worth before God, the God whom he served. And he would pray from the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, O Jesus. If we want to be esteemed, it's because we put ourselves first. We want to be highly thought of. We seek the praise of man. That alone matters to us because it flatters the ego that we have. It embellishes the image that we have carefully fostered in our soul. And of course, such an image is not the image of Christ. Just simply yourself. From the desire of being loved, and he really means from being loved too much, the kind of love that again flatters self. From the desire of being extolled, from the desire of being honored, the desire of being praised, being preferred to others, being consulted, being approved. From the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being despised, from the fear of suffering rebukes, of being calumniated, of being forgotten, of being ridiculed, of being wronged, of being suspected. He asks to be delivered from all of that. Why? That others may be loved more than I. Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I. Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I go unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided. That's a very important provision that I may become as holy as I should, that I may become as holy as I should. And holiness has, in a sense, 
got nothing to do in one sense. It has got nothing to do with your effort. You do not make yourself holy. The work of holiness is not your work. It does not depend upon your talents. It does not depend upon your human efforts alone. The work of holiness in you is the work of God. God makes you holy. God sanctifies you. But you must cooperate with God's graces. And to cooperate with grace, you must be humble. Because the two are linked. They are inseparably linked. Because to accept God's grace, you must learn to distrust yourself. You must learn to see yourself as the fallen creature that you are. But that must not make you despair. Because with God, we never despair. We also know that God loves a humble soul, that God gives himself to a humble soul. But a humble soul is a truthful soul. It's a soul that realizes that you cannot force the hand of God. In other words, holiness is not simply a question of you wanting at all costs to be holy. You must be holy. But holiness comes also not on your terms, but on God's terms. He knows what you are capable of. He knows you better than you know yourself. Because, you see, you don't really know yourself. You think you do. And it's only when you are exposed to the light of Christ that all the defects in your character, all the flaws in your personality, all the pride of your own efforts come to light. Not only you, but myself. But we're all the same. And what we must do simply is to pray dearly, daily and ask God for the grace to see ourselves as we truly are isn't to have a debased notion of yourself because in God's eyes you are precious. Therefore you are of a certain value. You are of a certain worth. Because when you gaze at the crucifix you see precisely what you are worth. You are worth the death of Christ. You are worth the suffering of Christ. Why? So that you may participate in that suffering so that through the cross of Christ you are led to him but only the humble can be led to Christ for it's only the humble man who realizes what he is in himself and how much he needs to be taken to be led by Christ but on Christ's terms not on your terms, because it was on your terms. You are not a humble soul, but a proud soul, a rebellious soul. One who feels that he or she can reach God without God. And that is fatal. For God will... Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and rate the podcast so that more people can hear the beauty and truth of traditional Catholicism. For more news, resources, and updates, you can visit the U.S. District website at sspx.org or the English news website of the Society at fsspx.news.